as we continue to draw to a close our study in Hebrews, as I uh, requested of you last Sunday, I continue to pray for our next series is gonna be is gonna come from the Old Testament book of Ruth. I'll be praying for that study. I pray that God would be gracious to us and reveal the many glorious truths found in that little short book of the Old Testament. So our study here this morning is, is found in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. This is a, a prayer, a closing prayer or a benediction. Uh, it's a prayer for the, for the church that God would act favorably toward these believers. And the main thought I will find in these verses is that uh, God has done great things for us through Jesus Christ. Uh, and because of this, uh, we should act. We should act on what God has done. And then these two verses, we'll see the basis of the, the prayer, the, the, uh, the, the basis, how it is that the writer expects this prayer to be answered or who it is that he expects to answer this prayer and it's the God of peace. And then we see in verse 21 the request. He desires that God would equip these believers, that God would work in them, and that this would be done through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. So let's look at these two verses together. Verse 20 of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. As the author closes out this letter, uh, he includes a benediction. A benediction is simply a, a good word. It, it is a, a prayer to God. I, I don't know if you notice that at every close of our service, Kurt closes with a benediction. And those aren't just frivolous words. Those are intentional. It's intentional. It is a prayer to God that whatever is God's will that is included in that benediction. Uh, he is praying that God would do this for you. That God would, 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 would act favorably 
toward you with what is requested. Benedictions are a reflection of the the, the heart and, and the love of uh, the leaders in the church and a, a, a reflection of even most importantly, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ for the flock. It is an expression of, of love. And, and, and in this benediction, what we will see is that it's all about God. It's all about God providing and meeting the spiritual needs of the people. Let's look at this, this benediction, this, this short benediction that is rich with doctrine, rich with theology. And in a reality, this benediction, it, it, it sums up everything that the author has talked about up to this point. It, 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 it takes everything that he has written about in this letter concerning God, the father, concerning the, the Lord Jesus Christ and his preeminence and his atoning work. And he simply brings it all together. In this benediction. And remember that his goal has been to raise up the Christ and to point them to the promises of God so that they may persevere in the faith. And the only way, beloved, that you and I can persevere in the faith is that God enable us to do it. And this is what the writer is getting at. He has he has had to say some hard things to them. And he has assured them of his love and affection for them. He has asked for prayer. And now he 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 caps it off with a with a prayer to God. So let's let's look at this short but rich benediction. Look at verse 20. He says now now at this moment at this point in time with what is going on in their lives with the persecution the suffering that they're experiencing now made a God of peace. In this prayer, in this benediction, the author of Hebrews, he entreats God, God who is the author of our covenant life, the, the, the covenant life that, that, that we as believers experience in, in Christ. He entreats God to give the blessings the blessings that is found in verse 21. He, he entreats God. And, and, and what he is doing 
he, he is following in the, the Old Testament example that is given by God, the God of Israel. Turn to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. It's not a book that we look at on a regular basis. Numbers chapter 6. And what we'll find here is uh, God commanding Moses and Aaron uh, to, to, to bless the people. To, 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 to bless his people. Numbers chapter 6 verses 22 through 27. Let your eyes See this. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you. And keep you. The Lord make his face. To shine. Upon you. And be gracious. To you. The Lord lift up his countenance. Upon you. And give you peace. So shall they. Put. My name. Upon the people of Israel. And I will bless them. You see that? God commands Moses to tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people and say to them this blessing. And this is what the author of Hebrews is doing. He's pattering himself after the Old Testament that is given to us for our instruction. He's following an example that is found and given to those who would lead the people of God in worship. Let's look back at verse number 20. He says, now may the God of peace. Speaking. Getting ready to pronounce blessings on the people. And he looks to God. To give what he desires to give to his people. To bless his people. And, and, and in this, he says, now may the God. And what? What is implied is that God intends to bless the lives of his people. God wants to bless us. The God of peace, he intends to bless us and be favorable to us in Christ. But it also implies that it's only through God alone that it is not through the minister. It's not through the pastor. It's not through the elder. It's not through the church. It's not through. Your doctors. 
It's not through your teachers in school. It's not through your friends. It's not through your spouse. It's not through your children that you receive blessings from God. It is through God and God alone. Now may the God of peace, God alone, have the power to generate and give divine blessings. Even as the ministers close out the service with a benediction, all they can do is an invoke and pronounce God's blessing upon you. That's all they can do. Divine blessings come from God and God alone. This is what is implied here. Observe again, verse 20. Now, may the God of peace. God is addressed as the God of peace. Paul calls God the God of peace several times in his writings. And what kind of peace? What kind of peace is God the God is the the God of? Is it political peace? Is it world peace? Is it personal peace? Like the peace you may desire when you go to a room by yourself and close the door? Is it that kind of peace? No. God is the God of peace first in a sense that God is perfectly at peace in himself. Nothing that happens in the world around us disturbs God. Nothing that happens in your life overwhelms God. Nothing that takes place, the sinful activity that's in the world does not confuse God. God is the God of God is at peace within himself. He is sovereign. He orchestrates all things. He knows all things. He is holy. He's not impacted by anything. He doesn't need anything from us. He's the God of peace. He's at peace within himself. He's God. And not only is God the God of peace within himself, he is the God of peace in relation to his people. He's the God of peace in relation to believers. He's not the God of peace for all mankind. Because those who reject Christ, those who reject God, he's not the God of peace to them. <laughs> he is the God of wrath to them. 
women. I know you can say amen to that. God is the God of wrath to the wicked. He's not the God of peace. He's only the God of peace to them if they come to Jesus Christ. God is the God of peace to the elect, to his people, the people he has chosen from the foundation of the world. God is the God of peace to them. Everybody else he will judge. He will punish them for their sins for all eternity. So if you are outside of Christ today, I exhort you, I urge you to come to Christ so that you can be at peace with the God of peace. Come to Christ, trust in Christ. God is the God of peace in relation to the people of God, the elect, those he chose in Christ. And for them and for them alone, he is the source and the giver of all true peace. Only believers are able to experience the peace that the God of peace gives. Listen to Isaiah 26, verse number three. You keep him, talking about God the Father, you keep him in not just peace. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind like the psalmist in Psalm 1. You keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Isaiah 26, verse 3. This reveals that those who serve God can experience peace. Perfect peace. As they set their mind. Upon him. In trust. And confidence. And dependence. Upon him. Philippians chapter four. Verse seven says this. Paul says. And the peace of God. With even for us as believers, he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, and the peace of God, which surpasses, is beyond, it exceeds all our understanding. He prays, he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In Christ, the peace of God, given from the God of peace, will guard your 
part in every trial of life. Even in times of persecution and difficulty, something that these recipients of this letter were facing. They were facing persecution. They were facing suffering. And these are Jewish believers. And they're probably even experiencing persecution at the hands of their their countrymen. They've suffered the, the plundering of their property. They've suffered because they named the name of Christ. And the the author here is praying to the God of peace whose peace surpasses all understanding. And Paul said, it is this peace that will guard the hearts and the minds of those who are in Christ Jesus. No wonder the writer calls out and entreats. Now may, he says, now may the God of peace. Because this is the only place that peace is found. What's the opposite of peace? Confusion. Being disturbed. Being anxious. Are you experiencing some of those things? Being fearful, being worried. What's the opposite of peace? And the only place that you or your family, or those whom you work with, the only place that they will find any type of peace is in the God of peace. You won't find it anywhere else. This is why you hear on TV that there's a mental health crisis Because everyone is trying to find peace in themselves, in things, in, in, in money, in prosperity, in the elevation of self, the importance of, of self. People are narcissists. And no wonder they're not finding peace. They're trying to get it on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, whatever you want to call these these places where people raise themselves up as important so that they can have some sense of peace. They will never find peace. And God has designed it that way. Perhaps you're trying to find peace in some other place outside of Jesus Christ. And we'll read about the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 where he said that uh, he was in a, in a situation and a circumstance where he had the sentence of death. He had reached the end of his rope and he thought he and those with him was going to die. And it's because God brought them to that point. So that they, he says, would not trust in themselves. 
It's foolish. It's foolish. Only the fool says in his heart that there is no God. Only it's, it's foolish to look to get from the world or or anything in the world. The world is philosophy. The world system It's foolish to look to the world to get what you only get from God. No wonder people are not at peace. Because they're rebelling against God. He is not sufficient. His word is not sufficient for them. So they turn to other places. Can you imagine that? Like the people of Israel that we've been reading about in Ezekiel. And we can sit up and we can we can be amazed at how the people of Israel turn to idols. And yet we do the same thing. God says through the prophet Jeremiah, my people have committed two evils. They have turned from him and they hewn for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. They made a, a cistern that 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 they look to get satisfaction from. But because they made it, it didn't give satisfaction. And God calls that evil to turn away from God and to get from other things only that which he gives. And how do we how do we receive from God, the God of peace, what he desires to give us? Look at verse 20 again. Where the writer adds, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is the evidence. That God has peace with us as believers. We don't need to look nowhere else. We, we don't need to search. We don't need to search nowhere else. We need to look to Christ. We need to look to the resurrected Christ. He is the evidence. He, his resurrection is the, the, the seal, is God's seal of approval. That, the, that his sacrifice on the cross was accepted. When, 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 when God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he showed that his justice was satisfied. He showed that the penalty of sin was paid in full. Romans chapter 5 verses 9 through 10 says this. He said, Paul says in verse 8 he says, but God showed 
his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse nine, since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more will we be saved, will uh, shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, because he was raised from the dead. I have assurance and hope for tomorrow, but not only for tomorrow. In this life now, because Christ was raised from the dead, there is the privilege of having God work in our lives to do his will. God raising our Lord, our, notice he says, our Lord Jesus, connecting the Lordship of Christ with his humanity. And it was in his humanity that he came and he gave his life for us. It, it, the, 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 the God raising our Lord Jesus from the dead is crucial, not just for our future, but it's crucial for our sanctification now. This is why he prays to the, the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection, his, his being right, God raising him, it, it, it gives us the, the encouragement that the same power that the same power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, beloved, is at work in you. Did you know that? It, the, the same power, the resurrection power that we see that brought Christ from the dead is the same power that enables us to do the will of God. It's the same power that is at work in us that enables us to know God's word, to apply God's word, to trust in Christ. It is the same power that enables us to turn away from sin. It, it's, it's the, the power that raised, the power God that raised Christ from the dead is at work in all who are believers here today. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. 
we forfeit the blessings that we have because we turn away from Jesus Christ. We don't trust in him like we ought to. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. In fact, let me start in verse 15. For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. It, it, it all starts with knowing Christ and growing in our knowledge and understanding of Christ. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts, not just, the, not just something we know intellectually, but something that goes all the way to the, the inner core of our being. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know, uh, may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. Look how he describes the power of God toward us in Christ. He says this, it's the immeasurable greatness. This is what the Apostle Paul wants these believers to know. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power, which we come to know through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his not just some might, but his great might. Mighty is our God. Who is at work in every one of our lives for us to say we can't overcome something reveals our ignorance because God is mighty and he has revealed himself the greatness, the immeasurable greatness of his power. He has revealed it when he raised Christ from the dead. And that same power is at work in you. This is what the writer will pray about in verse 21 of Hebrews chapter 13. Turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 9. Paul again is praying for believers. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. He says this. And so from the day we heard. We have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled. Again, notice what is the emphasis? That you may be filled with the knowledge 
of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This comes from God's word, knowing his word. In verse 10, he says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. This is, this is again, this, this is what the author of Hebrews is praying for in verse 21. He obviously, he knows the apostle Paul. He knows Timothy. We'll find out next week. And he patterns his leadership and his prayer after the Apostle Paul. Paul prays so, walk, so, to, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit, not in some work, but in every good work. And we'll talk about what good work is. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. God is able to strengthen you so that you can endure and be patient with joy in your trials. And he's able to do this because of, because he brought Christ again from the dead. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. This is the same power at work in all of us who are believers. And it's only, it's this, 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 this blessing is, is not founding ourselves. It's through our Lord Jesus, who was appointed. Go back to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. He says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus. The resurrection is important to your sanctification. And he says, the great shepherd of the sheep. This is who our Lord is. He's, the, he's not just a, a shepherd. He is the great shepherd. The, the, the great shepherd of the sheep, these Hebrew Christians, as they heard this, their minds probably went back to Psalm 23, where Yahweh is referred to as a shepherd who is carrying. Verse 11, where uh, it is where, where I, uh, Isaiah uh, points forward and says there will be a shepherd uh, that will come and he shall feed his flock. Like, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs. Not only will he feed the flock, he will gather the lambs, those who are, who are without strength. He will gather the lambs in his, uh, with his arm, and he will carry them in his bosom. <laughs> this is pointing forward to Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. He cares for us. Jesus is referred to as the good shepherd in John chapter 10. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He is called the chief shepherd in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 4. 
and having Jesus Christ as our shepherd is important. It's important to our sanctification because like sheep, sheep without a shepherd, they're exposed to constant danger. And sheep have no ability to care for themselves. I was watching, uh, I was uh, on YouTube and uh, there was a video I saw of a, of a, a, a shepherd who was out in the field and one of the sheep had flipped over on his back. Sheep are so helpless. They can't flip themselves over. He was just laying there on the ground like it was a it was a female sheep. I don't know what they call him, but the sheep was laying there on his back like this. That's all it was doing. That's all it could do was this. The sheep would hear the, the, the shepherd voice and, it, and he came over and he grabbed the sheep and he flipped that sheep over and that sheep had been on his back for so long it hurt his back. It couldn't walk. That's how helpless sheep are. And, it, and he had to give the sheep some type of medication to, to help uh, with the uh, the injury that it had sustained and it was trying to walk. It had been on its back for so long. It, it was trying to walk and it couldn't. The shepherd had to help it. And that's us. We are helpless. We, 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 we are helpless apart from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We, 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 we will run at the, when, when, when we're disturbed, we, we, we run and, and we run in fear. So we're, we're constantly dependent like sheep upon the great shepherd. We're dependent upon him. We're dependent upon him to meet our every need. And, and we can be assured that he cares for us supremely because he laid down his life. He cares for you. There's no doubt that he cares for you, that he is even caring for you now. Because he's your shepherd. God the Father has given you to him. He, he has given you to him and he cares for you. He will watch over you and he will keep you. And when the day comes, when, when he comes and he gathers us up with him after having kept us, he will give us back to the Father as a gift. Father, here is my gift to you. I kept them. This is your great shepherd. He cares for you. He's your redeemer. And because of his life, death, and resurrection and his ascension, he is able again to care for you.
And how do these blessings come? Notice what the writer of Hebrews goes on to say. In verse 20, he says, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of, of the eternal covenant. <clears throat> Jesus' resurrection was a, a it, was, it was a promise and, and it was a, a pact that was made between God the Father and God the Son in eternity past. Before time, before the foundation of the world, God the Father said to the Son, I want you to become the Savior by shedding your blood in death. And I will raise you. And you will do this for those whom I chose for you. The blood of the eternal covenant between God the Father and God the Son. And because of this eternal covenant for which Christ shed his blood, Jesus can say things like this. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. You say, but I'm suffering. And I, I, I'm in pain. And, 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 and it's hard for me. He ain't trying to drive you away. He, he cares for you. The Father has given you to him. He says, I would never drive you away. God said, he's, because of Christ, he's at work in you for your good. Jesus, I would... Never. He says, all that will, they will come. That's John 6 and 37. He says this. And this is the will of him who sent me. This was determined back in eternity past. And this is the will of him that I shall lose none that he has. But raise them up at the last day. John 6 and 39. John 17 and 9, Jesus prays. He says, and I pray for them. And I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given. This is all a part of the eternal covenant between God the Father, where he chose those whom he would give to the Son. Jesus says, I pray for them. He said, I don't pray for the world. But for those you have given me, for they are yours. John 17, verse 9. It's the eternal, eternal covenant. And this eternal covenant is mentioned in Ezekiel 37, verse 26. God makes a covenant with us. And he says there, he says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant. 
Ezekiel 37, verse 26. This covenant will never be replaced by another covenant. It's, it's permanent. It will never fail. It will always be valid because it was established with the blood of Jesus Christ. It was established by the blood of the eternal one who gave his life and who is now seated at the right hand of the Father. The one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He reigns, he lives, he reigns forever, and he secures us in an eternal salvation. And, and so I rest, so, so rest your faith in his finished work on the cross. Look at verse 21. And so this is the basis, verse 20, the basis of which the writer is, is, is asking his prayer. This is, this, this is uh, how he uh, knows that this prayer will be answered. This request that he makes in verse 21, he knows and have the assurance that it will be answered because the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. And now here's the request. Verse 21. That he would equip you with everything good. He prays, the writer prays to the God of peace that he would, in the present, that he would equip these believers with everything good. One writer noted that this word equip, this is the primary verb of verses 20 and 21, equip. He says that the word equip here means to make someone completely adequate. To make someone completely adequate or sufficient for something. To, to, to furnish completely, to cause to be fully qualified. That's what this word, this word equip, uh, this writer says, this word equip means. To make someone completely adequate or sufficient for, for something. So he said, the writer says, equip you to make you completely adequate and, and sufficient with everything good. This request should humble us because God has to do this for us. We, we are imperfect. We're insufficient in ourselves to equip ourselves to do any good. It's not by our strength that, that you and I are able to do good works that please God. This is a humbling truth. You and I must pray and depend upon God, the God of peace who raised Jesus from the dead, that he will, by his power, furnish us, furnish us, furnish you 
provide for you all that you need to live differently than the world. To, to, to live and to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we are insufficient. We're like sheep. We will end up on our back, helpless. He says, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. This equipping with every good thing is for the purpose that you may do his will. God, he, the, the author prays that God equip these believers with everything good so that they may do his will. The only way you can do God's will is that God equip you to do it. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. God has to equip us, even as believers. Ephesians chapter 2, I start reading at verse number 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is God's desire is that we should walk in good works. And this is why he placed us in Christ Jesus. And in Christ, he equips us with every good thing so that we may do his will. And when we're talking about his will, this is not just doing anything. It's not, it's not just doing any sort of work when he says that you may do his will what he is talking about here is not that we get to pick and choose doing his will is doing what he has commanded us to do in his word this is considered good 
not stuff that you pick and choose to go and do. God determines what is good and what is acceptable to him. And all of our works must be conformed to his revealed will found in his word. The writer of Hebrews says, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. This is humbling. God has to work in us. We're familiar with Philippians chapter 2. Verses 12 and 13, where Paul commands the Philippian believers, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out. God is work. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You be serious about it. Work it out. Work out what you know that God's will is for your life. Do it with fear and trembling. Why? Verse 13, for it is God who works in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You work with all your strength, with all your understanding and all your might, knowing that at the same time, it is God who is at work in you to will and to do his perfect pleasure. And it's, it's no, no wonder. Paul goes on and says, do all things without grumbling and disputing. Because God is at work in you. He, he, he is at work in you. And this is why the writer prays here, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. We're to work hard in the Christian life, but it's not in and of ourselves. This, it, it again, this is again pointing to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. The resurrection power that God raised Christ from the dead. This enables us to persevere in the Christian life. And Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, he says, I toil. I'm working. I'm struggling with all. Not he didn't say his energy. He says, I toil and struggling. I'm struggling with all his energy that is powerfully working, uh, that powerfully works within me. That he powerfully works within me. Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. Do you see God at work in you? When, when your anger begins to 
when anger begins to swell up in you, when worry begins to peak his ugly face in your heart, when bitterness and resentment began to raise his ugly face in your heart, do you turn to God and trust that as you deal with these sinful attitudes that are bubbling up in your heart as you deal with those things, as you take that sin and you put it off, are you confident that God is at work in you, enabling you to do that? Or do you give way and say, I can't help it. I can't help but be angry. I, I can't help but worry. I can't help it. I can't help it sinning. I can't help but sin. You don't know the word of God. You have a responsibility to obey God as revealed. His will is revealed in the word of God and God is going to, he's at work in you to do it, to will and to do it. And that should, and, 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 and Paul says back in Philippians, he said, do everything without grumbling. So grumbling and complain. We should be rejoicing. When, as we under, that's why he prayed uh, in, 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 in Colossians and Ephesians that you know what the will of God is. So as we know what God's will is and, and, and what we have in Christ, we can, as he said in Philippians, rejoice. We can count it all joy, James says. We can rejoice in all things. Paul says rejoice, and I say again, rejoice. Why? Because God is at work in you. The writer Hebrew goes on and said, through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The ultimate goal is that Christ would be glorified. And we are disappointed oftentimes because the end goal for us is not that Christ will be glorified. Or even if Christ, we, we may say that we want Christ glorified, but it's really because we're using Christ to bring glory to ourselves. And when things don't go our way, we get frustrated. We're confused. We get angry. We get bitter. Because the glory that we really are after is our glory. And we'll use Christ. We'll use Christ to get glory for ourselves. And this is what, when we're disappointed with things, this is what this is revealing. That we're after our own glory and not Christ. But it's only through Christ. And to him 
be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so as I close, the world tries to have peace around us with, without God. And it's no wonder many in the church don't have peace because they are submitting themselves to the wisdom and the philosophy of the world who does not have peace with God. They have no formula to give you peace. And what they give may, for the short term, give you a sense of peace, but it's really not true and lasting peace. True and lasting peace comes from the God of peace through Jesus Christ. And this is what we should desire, is that God work in us, that the God of peace work in us to grow us in holiness, to grow us in obedience to his revealed will. That we say like the apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ. May that be our anthem. Paul says, and I promised to read this earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Perhaps this is where you find yourself. You're struggling, you're suffering. You're, ha you're, you're being afflicted, you're being persecuted. Perhaps you're experiencing physical suffering in your body. And Paul says this concerning him and those who are with him. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were, and perhaps this sounds like you, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt this was real. In verse 9, he says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. We thought we were going to die. We felt like we were going to die. This affliction that we faced in Asia, me, not just him, but me and my brothers. We were afflicted to the point that we thought the sentence of death, that we were going to die any minute. But he, he, he said the reason for this was so that we would not rely on ourselves. 
so that they would come to the end of themselves. He said, so that we would not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is important? He delivered us, Paul says, from such a deadly pearl. And he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Is that your hope? That, that you know that God is trying to equip you? That he is trying to get you to turn from yourself and dependence upon yourself to him? And I can tell you, God will do whatever is necessary to get you on your knees. To cry to him, help! To get you on your back where all you can do is this. So that you can look to him so that he can come and turn you over. And give you the strength to do his will and his perfect pleasure. Let us pray. Father, we have a heart to serve you, to please you, but we must admit. that there are times in our lives where we try to live independently of you. Where we try to, to do our own thing with our own wisdom. And because you love us, because you care for us, you close those doors. You close them shut. We try to open it. You keep it closed. So that we can learn to depend upon you. So that we can search your word. So that we can deny ourselves. So that we can depend upon Christ. So that we can renew our hope in the coming of Christ. Oh, how you love us. And how often we're like sheep again. Wandering off the path. Not knowing the danger we're getting ourselves into. We thank you that you are at work in us. And we pray that you would do a work in us. Continue to work in us to will and to do your perfect pleasure. And we pray that you would do this through Christ. We pray that the Holy Spirit who indwells us would take us to your word so that we may grow in our understanding of the blessings and the favor we, we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you. In Christ's name I pray.